0: Welcome to the Mobile Dev Memo Podcast. I am your host, Eric Sufert. My guest on the podcast today is Maurer Sadra, who is a mobile ad tech veteran and the CEO and founder of Incremental, an incrementality testing platform for mobile advertisers. And prior to Incremental, Maurer was the CEO of AppLift. Maurer is returning to the podcast for an impressive fourth time. In this episode, Maurer and I discuss advertising strategy in a recession, I recently published an old presentation on the topic that I had given to clients and members of the Mobile Dev Memo community. And since it was well-received, I decided to record a podcast on the subject. I couldn't think of any guest better suited to speak to the strategies that advertisers should pursue when the economy slows down than Maurer. With that said, welcome, Maur. Hey, Eric, fourth time. Wow, okay, it's an honor. In a way, you know,
1: I guess I like and don't like is the fact that I have been called the Nostradamus of the ad tech industry many times by now. I don't know what it is. Maybe, I guess, I don't know. I'm seeing the writing on the wall. And when it comes to, you know, recession, pre-session, or whatever you want to call it, we were just talking about it like slightly before. Are we there? Or the fact that we are talking about it is getting us there? And then do we want to be talking about it? Because it might get us there. To be fair, I think no one wants to be in a recession. But obviously, I think we are getting there or, or there. That's a question mark.
0: Well, that's a, that's a safe bet that no one wants one. It could be like kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? If everyone is just scared and they stop spending money, then then you're in a recession. I feel like we are in one now, which, you know, you kind of only know about it post hoc. But my sense is, is that we are in one now. But that is a good, you know, either way, whether we're headed for one or we are in one now and just sort of don't have the uh, the data to sort of prove that. I think it's good to walk through this topic, which is, you know, advertising strategy and recession. I know for certain that many of the companies that I speak with on a regular basis are behaving as if we're in a recession, right? And some have seen a slowdown in sort of consumer spend, consumer receptivity to their products. And so, you know, it's at the very least, hopefully this podcast can alert these companies to some of the tools that are at their disposal should they need them, and hopefully they don't.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I also agree on kind of like the feeling. So, you know, we, we work with various companies at incremental and obviously incrementality is one of the use cases of incrementality measurement is identifying cannibalization. Maybe just to to anyone who does know what cannibalization is because it's obviously one of the many terms uh, we come up with in the industry. It's essentially redundant ad spend. It's a spend that shows you from a tracking standpoint that you're getting value, but in reality, you are getting value that you are already getting. The famous Uber lawsuit, I think, is like the best example for redundant ad spend, cannibalizing your own existing users. Now, I would say, you know, we have a tutorial in our knowledge base that is now mega popular. Companies who have been on continuous growth mode are
0: suddenly being ordered to cut waste. Right. Well, that's so that's part of it. Is this COVID overhang or is this because I think there's actually three factors that are all in alignment now that are causing a great deal of pain for mobile advertisers specifically, right? The first is ATT, right? We've talked about that, you know, I've talked about that. Everyone listening to this is aware of that. Uh, We don't need to dive into that. The second is COVID overhang. Anybody that had a digital product, especially a consumer product, saw, you know, probably saw a very meaningful uptake in engagement, in monetization, in overall sort of revenue performance during COVID. And that is receding, right? You know, receding back to the mean, right? There's kind of like a mean reversion effect now. And a lot of companies didn't prepare for that. Like they thought, hey, this growth is going to last forever. And they changed their operating model to based on that assumption. And now they're realizing like, okay, we're actually sort of, if we revert back to the mean, we picked up a lot of excess costs, excess adventures in terms of like product expansion that. We're just going to need to jettison. And then the last is like a potential recession, right? Which could be taking place right now. And so in combination, all those three things could potentially create a sort of very challenging environment for everyone, frankly, but for mobile advertisers specifically because of the sort of added complexities of ATT, which a lot of people haven't really adapted to in earnest, right?
1: So about a year ago, Eric, you you posted this article trying to sum up what is the revenue uh, um effect over Facebook from ATT. And I think you nailed it well. I think a lot of uh, financial analysts later referred to your article when Facebook actually started missing a little bit on the revenues. But like we've seen it, like everything is now in the red or a lot is in the red. A lot is in the red related to uh, opportunity uh, loss, opportunity cost, revenue uh, missed due to ATT. Not everybody is admitting it. And again, I don't think we can blame recession on att let's uh, keep things in perspective right yeah but for sure i would say one of the um like COVID is very much related i think also it's related to the crazy multipliers companies experienced in 2021 (laughs) right yeah and i think that the it was bound to happen at least i'm not a financial analyst to understand why but we are seeing that we're seeing it happening and we're also seeing again like let's say companies were overgrowing, growing exponentially fast, optimizing towards growth is significantly easier than optimizing towards efficiency. Yeah,
0: well, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, you can't point to any of these factors. It, again, it's it's a complex system. And and if it's all three of these things, it's like a perfect storm almost, right? And then supply chain constraints too, with which doesn't affect so much like app advertising, but you know for a lot of you know, D2C and, and e that that was a big factor kind of in the last year. I think that's easing up a little bit. Now you're seeing like Target... For instance, saying we've got too much inventory and and we're going to have to start discounting it to get rid of it. The point I'm making is like no one's going to say, well, people might say, ATT is creating these hardships for mobile advertisers. Well, no, it's contributing, but it's not the sole factor. Potentially, there's economic softness. That's that's also a factor, right? And then it's just the reversion to the mean of COVID. It's like accepting that you know the growth rates that you saw and the engagement that you saw and the revenue that you saw was artificially inflated by a global pandemic, which hopefully is a once in a lifetime event, right? And we'll hopefully never see again, but you know, nonetheless, it's a sort of rare occurrence that, that you shouldn't have used to make long-term projections. So all that said, I wanna talk with you about what advertisers should do, how do they adapt? And I'm gonna kick this conversation off with a question and don't take this the wrong way. But I think you've seen this before, right? Two thousand eight. <laughs> are you calling right? me old? No, I'm not calling you old. I'm calling you. <laughs> I am old. I am no, you're old. You're not old. You're not old. Yeah. You're only as old as you feel. Take it away. What happens to ad spend during a recession?
1: Well, it's the same as every other things. People are always surprised. Okay. No one is ever prepared. No one wants to admit something is happening, especially when it's a negative change. Now, here it's it's incredible. I hope that the audience is mostly marketers because. Marketers, you are the game changers right now because marketers can really make a difference if they now shift from, no, everything is fine. We should just optimize their growth to taking action. The worst, let's say, if it doesn't happen and you theoretically missed out on the same growth trajectory you had, you're still going to have a healthier company. Now, what typically happens is people act surprised and then they reach a point where they have to make changes and then they do it with a machete. You can try, like there's two ways to do a surgery. One is with a surgeon knife very accurately and one with a machete. With a machete, no one's gonna be happy. It's uh, jobs on the line, it's layoffs, it's cuts, it's uh, the companies who are prepared acquiring the companies who were not prepared for a fraction of the valuation they they actually had. So like what happens is typically too late, very
0: very drastic moves right which is not obviously not ideal right and and then you run the risk of cutting it a bone right i think one of the issues is that you know people are very reticent to cut ad spend because what does that represent that represents future revenue right like for any dr advertiser revenue is a function of ad spend and you know that if you cut ad spend today the result's going to be lower revenue in the future. And then to speak to the potential of a solution like incremental, like unless you're cutting bad ad spend, right? And we'll get to that. But you know, if you're cutting good ad spend just because you have to, because you're cash constrained, if that was profitable ad spend, that's a bad thing. That's not a good thing. That's you know a line item expense, but it's an input to revenue. It's a direct input to revenue, right? Not in an abstract way, in a very direct way, in a very concrete way. And so if you're cutting that, if you're cutting good ad spend, that's a terrible outcome. And that's what I think people are worried about. Now, the issue is a lot of people don't know whether their ad spend is good or bad or, you know, more problematically, they don't know which ad spend. They know there's some ad spend that's bad. But, you know, again, that's the old joke. But they don't know which ad spend is bad. And that's the real issue. And it's like, well, they they just get, they get nervous about cutting ad spend because, like, look, you know, if we're cutting the good ad spend, that's just going to result in less revenue in the future. This is usually what happens. People overreact. And... Um not
1: on the right timing, and then they just slice across the board or they slice what they think based on gut is the one not working, which is often not necessarily what is not working. That's very, very common. And again, I would say there's like three types of ad spend if we see it like that. There is like a, the um, measurable that returns ROI fast. Mm-hmm. There is the measurable that returns ROI, but it's more long-term. Right. And then there is the unmeasurable. Okay. Usually, what gets cut first is the unreasonable, and then when it comes to long term, short term, people will often think that they are optimizing by keeping the short term, when in reality, what they're actually doing is they're just keeping what is cannibalization. Yeah. Cannibalization often will look the best. And what is it like? um, Bottom of the funnel.
0: Bottom of the funnel advertising always looks best. Right. So I spoke with, and I agree with that. I spoke with. I did a like a panel for this like private event two weeks ago or whatever. And it was, I was me and the CEO of like a huge retail giant, right? Or sorry, the CMO, the CMO, not CEO. And, um, you know, it's funny, I keep getting put on these panels that I'm absolutely not qualified to be on. I got put on (laughs) one the other day. It was like this private, another private kind of thing. And it was like this former DOJ attorney. And we were talking about like some of the legislation that's coming down the pike. And I'm like, (laughs) you know, hope no one's (laughs) serious. I hope no one's serious is listening to me. On this topic. Uh, anyway, so his point was yeah, we don't know if we're in a recession right now. We had to be a lot faster in the way and just a lot more responsive in the way that we think about ad spend. But what happens to us in a recession, or what happens to companies that look like us, big retailers, is that we shift a lot of our ad spend from brand to DR. Because the DR, the brand stuff, you know, is supported by a model that runs on a much longer timeline, right? And you're talking like media mix modeling, If you're talking about like brand advertising, especially for like retail sales, not ecom sales. And it's it's like, well, okay, you know, we built this model, and we feel like we trust it. But in a recession, everything's going to change. And the model, you know, has been tuned for a different economic environment. And so therefore, we're just going to shift more money into DR, which is just much, you know, they have measurement for the brand spend, like they do have marketing scientists that are attempting to measure that and probably doing it successfully, right? But the DR spend is measurable faster, like the turnaround on the data is faster. And that's what they need, because they need and his point was like, we need to shift our sort of measurement timeline and our sort of like, acceptable round trip timeline on ad spend to, to revenue, we need to shift that to like days, and not months and quarters, right? Like that was his point, which I think was a good point. The majority of companies that I work with are not thinking about anything on a quarterly timeline and in, in a lot of cases it's mid intraday intraday ad spend is a signal that they're they're looking at when they bounce sort of like make budget adjustments so it, it was interesting to hear that that shift, being like a top priority for a big retailer is like, yeah, we shift from brand to DR because we just need to measure much faster. It's funny, I literally just had
1: a, an onboarding call with an agency, again, I don't wanna to be too salesy, you know me, but uh, you had a call with an agency and like we were asking them, hey, what's your benchmarks? Cause they can set like the benchmark goals on the platform. And they're like, oh, we cannot set it per channel. And you know, I've been asked this question multiple times and I don't get why set different, let's say ROAS or CPA goal, per channel. Everything should be measured the same. I honestly don't think that you know TV takes longer to actually uh, uh, generate results than a Facebook ad. It, it's kind of like BS. Both can generate immediate uh, return on ad spend. Measurability for sure is a challenge. If only thing you know is, okay, we have the opportunity to run a campaign for a month before we can do any sense of optimization and then run panels to understand if, it had any impact versus what you're used to, which is like click-based tracking. That's a tricky one. Now, I think for iOS specific advertisers right now, especially given SKAD network, there is another challenge here because the tracking isn't really there properly right. like it used to be. Now, yeah. one thing often that we're now seeing is, of course, the biggest losers from ATT were the platforms who were self-attributing because suddenly they are 100% relying on SKAd network, yeah. which is just not sharing the same amount of postbacks from them. So on the one hand, they are essentially seeing less conversions. The advertisers are essentially seeing less conversions. The conversions are still there. Right. But I'll give you an example. If you're, let's say, uh, spending a thousand bucks on Facebook, Facebook, is actually generating a 1,000 conversions, but you're only reporting and you're only post-backing 200, Facebook is going to spend based on them thinking they generated 200, while in reality, they actually generated a 1,000. But they're not seeing it. You're not seeing it. You are seeing it. Again, if you look at your blended, you are seeing it if you're looking at incrementality platforms, but you essentially have this huge hidden part. And essentially what ends up is companies go for what they think is the lowest hanging fruit, which is fingerprinting. Let's give it away. Let's call it probabilistic attribution. It's fingerprinting. But um, essentially companies think they go to what they think is working just because of that's how they're used to do. And I would say cutting away brand versus DR. So again, going back to kind of like the three types of ad spend, there's the short-term return There's the long-term return, and then there's the untrackable, okay? Mm -hmm. All three could be beneficial. Maybe the long-term is what you want to maybe slim down, but I wouldn't slim down on something that is
0: untrackable because it's still measurable. Right. That's my crusade that I've been on for a long time. It's like that false distinction between brand and performance is massively annoying. That's not the way you should think about it. Everything should be performance. There's no reason to say that we have non-performance advertising. And, you know, you see these jokers at a lot of big companies getting away with that, but they shouldn't. And all of this should be baked into a performance model. I think the question is, like, when you move into a recession, the issue is, yes, we have a model and we believe we're measuring it, right? But now the entirety of the economic environment has changed, and therefore the model probably doesn't capture... Conversions in the way with the same sort of precision that it did before, or at least in a way that provides you with confidence, right? And you have to retune it. And so, in that process of retuning it, what do you do? How do you adapt, right? Because I guess the idea here is like, you know, my model assumes a certain type of like consumer behavior and consumer response to my advertising. And if consumers have less money, they're not going to respond in the same way. And so, if I'm just spending money on advertising, even if I believe that this model that I had was very robust in terms of capturing the value of all those three types of advertising it won't be if consumers fundamentally change their spending habits right you kind of have to retune the model Yeah. yeah then that's of course is like the other factor of a recession consumers
1: behavior and let's say if you had a product that was enjoying the growth because we are in growth mode then you have like multiple other problems other than just your ad spend okay then you might like your company will likely need to do a bit of machete optimization. Yeah. I think that uh, again, kind of like you have the growth marketers and especially in companies that been in hyper growth, they had absolutely no reason to optimize towards mm-hmm. incrementality. Honestly, everything was working, who cares? And like uh, cannibalization, redundant ad spend, it's a cost of business, okay? If 100% of ads yielded performance, then that's probably more fishy than uh, than a good sign. But I think that's like the biggest problem right now is companies who are used to just kind of like, everything is working, we don't really care that much, we're not optimizing to, to profit at all, like no one is looking at profit, suddenly to be told, hey, you need to optimize towards both growth and profit, That's the big challenge.
0: Yeah, well, it's funny because I think a lot of people experienced this problem, but like it's inverse or, you know, the opposite of this problem during COVID, right? It's like the model said that their ad spend was not profitable at the the onset of COVID, but it was, the model was wrong. The model captured consumer behavior in like, you know, the pre-COVID societal norm, not lockdown at home, phone in front of me 24-7. And people were just behaving differently. And and so like you should have been spending, you should have scaled ad spend up to capture that engagement at the very beginning of COVID. And a lot of people saw their campaigns blow up because there was more receptivity to ads because people were spending more time on social channels. And they were just more receptive to like different types of time sinks right and things to do and the model was like oh wait we're spending more because there's higher receptivity to the ads but actually the model says that this is bad spend because we expect the people to behave this way and the, and people cut spend or it looked bad and it turned out that those cohorts were amazing because the model was wrong the model didn't capture the behavior of the new COVID norm. And now like that, not only has that changed, we're reverting back to like the pre-COVID norm, societal norm and behavioral norm, but also like we're probably entering a recession where people have less disposable cash. And so they're going to spend less. I want to get to the next question, which was, we're talking about these the models, right? And we're talking about understanding how to maybe reallocate, like change the allocation of spend between these across those three types of, of ad spend that, that you sort of enumerated. What KPI should advertisers be monitoring now to like look for early signs of like economic weakness or changing consumer profiles, like monetization profiles. What should they be looking at right now?
1: Well, LTV, average revenue per uh, customer. I'm a big fan of, again, I'm maybe a little bit more of a conservative CEO. I always like to look and understand my profit line and my growth margin line. And again, if you're not optimizing to profit, if you can't, if it's like too low in your PNL and there's too many uh, constraints there, Look at gross margin, anything other than just the, like what is called a a low funnel, but it's actually top of the funnel. Like, you know, an install, a first action, they're all essentially top of the funnel within your own product. And there, yeah, you look for any sign basically is um, like, you know, is my average revenue per customer, changing. Sometimes a change of 1%, 2% is actually major in your long-term uh, impact. Don't compromise means if you have a certain goal uh, when it comes to day zero ros don't go for something that is yielding really below because that's a flag. That's a very, very big red flag. I think, by the way, something about COVID, in a way, COVID people, like companies, I think, were relatively prepared for a recession, and then in a way, com- like a lot of digital companies, massively enjoyed growth. I think we are right. like fairly lucky in terms of like our careers because our careers flourished during a, a global pandemic, which is not the best thing um, like in the world. But I think for us, we benefited of it. I think it was easier to prepare to do because it was extremely tangible. It wasn't rumors. Here, it's. a uh, is it going to happen? Is it not going to happen? Are we there? Are we not there yet? So most people miss out the signs.
0: Right? Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. I mean, COVID, you, you know, we knew it was it was happening. Certainly. That's an interesting point, because like the early days of COVID, and this was the sort of motivation for that presentation that I gave, signaled like an economic disaster, you know, which was unprecedented in our lifetimes, right? And, you know, worse than the, the Uh, GFC. And it turned out like to not be the case, there was a there was a very brief like stock market sell off, followed by probably like the most profound bull run that we'll ever see in our lives, which spawned a meme stock episode, which was very entertaining. And but you know, potentially some people made some money. I didn't really chase that too much. But I did win some on uh, Express, which was like the uh, fast fashion retailer and also uh, GameStop not GameStop less. So anyway, that's unrelated. So my, like what I've told people is like, yeah, the LTV curve, of course, like, but I think one thing you need to think about, because a lot of times, you know, people think about an LTV curve as, and this is in the presentation, as this kind of very much indexed to the cohort, right? So like the LTV curve, and which it is, right? It's like the LTV cohort begins at, the install and it expresses itself over the lifetime of the cohort, and that's kind of the way you think about it. And that's considered like the trajectory of that user, which is a function of the ad that they saw and the moment they saw it and whatever. One of the issues though is like if it's if a recession hits, it's gonna change the sort of disposable income and consumer spending patterns of users across their LTV curves, right? And this is probably mostly relevant to like games, but if I'm like an elder player in a cohort that was acquired 300 days ago, like the my spending pattern is baked into like this LTV curve that expresses out to like whatever 365 or whatever. Well, I might just start spending less, and it, it has nothing to do with the ad that I saw, right? It's like the entire economic environment changed, and I think that's one thing that people have to consider. It's like, well, it's not just new users, right, that are probably less willing to spend, and and you know the the advertising economics change. It could be existing users too. Those existing cohorts could degrade in ways that don't match the model that don't map to the model because it's just like, well, I have less money. Like, yeah, I would like to continue to spend as you would expect me to based on my investment in this game, but I can't because I don't have any money. How many people are looking at day 300 within their model accuracy?
1: I think people often look at day zero, day seven and so on. I think you're going to likely miss out on what happened to uh, day 300 to day 150 because, oh, no, we acquired these users last year. They're amazing. They are meeting our projection. Everything is good. I think you might be missing out on the fact that those cohorts are essentially starting to drop off, essentially. With new users, it's easier. It's easier to see that you're essentially missing out your prediction by 70% because they are spending less. Much easier, I think, to spot and to see and to identify that, hey, there's something happening here.
0: Yeah, of course. I mean, that's, that's much easier, easier thing to measure. And I think, yeah, you're right. Very few people have like a cash model that says, hey, well, we're expect you know, the cohorts are going to deliver this this month. And then they're baking that in to, you know, the, whatever their P&L. But they might be baking in that long-term performance to the LTV, which would be the bid price, right? That's a surprise. That's essentially when companies think
1: everything is fine, everything is good. And then suddenly they wake up and they understand that, oh crap,
0: we have two months in terms of runway then you cut right exactly and because we expected like hey cohort you know the cohort from 300 days ago is going to continue to contribute revenue and it's just not right and that was an expected almost like a receivable right like i've talked about that like a, a marketing PL, you have like you know ltv receivables like we're at day 90 of this cohort that we project out to like 365 and so we expect you know on a monthly basis that cohort's going to keep contributing this amount of money and if it just stops not only should that change your conception of the LTV curve, like, because, hey, well, by the way, this we're going to have less money to invest in a new course because they stopped spending as much as day 90 then relative to the model, but also like the money that you thought you were going to get to do all these things, pay salary, pay, you know, whatever, recycle that money back into marketing, just evaporated, right? I think that's, that's an interesting, uh, but that is an interesting question. It's very tempting, I think, in a situation like this to just shorten the recoup timeline to say, look, we're not buying against 365 anymore. First of all, there's too much uncertainty. We can't do that like we had this product live and we have a bunch of cohorts that produce data that we can use to sort of estimate 360 and like we think everything's changing and so we just don't have that data set anymore it's not reliable let's reduce it to day 30 right and because then we can get enough cohorts like over the next two months we'll have you know some data points around day 30 that make us more comfortable with spending against that what's the risk of doing that because that's a big change i think people don't respect how big of a change that is
1: so first of all it's is a huge change by the way and we've seen this exercise done with a couple of customers it's very difficult, by the way, to move from, okay, I expect my revenue to happen in the, last, the next uh, 365 days versus I need to make my 100% ROAS in day 30. It's a completely different mindset in terms of optimization. It's You have to, first of all, like remove the gut element because the gut element will just tell you, okay, I just need to cut this, 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 again, going to brand long term and so on, which is often going to be a mistake. Like, uh, again, I can tell you, I, I just posted an article on this a couple of days ago. I had a very strong bias against search, <laughs> okay? Mm-hmm. Like, I just thought, like, anything that is branded search is going to be redundant That's But it's vanity or essentially it's a de- either defendable strategy or vanity. Right. I measured, I measured multiple things and you know what? And like, if you are in a non-saturated market and your brand is like, not a generic keyword, Brand keywords will generate incremental results at pretty good results, actually pretty good performance, Ross wise and so on. So I would say probably keep it. So I'm saying to cut based on what you think is going to lead to some terrible outcomes. Of course, the, the, the risk when it comes to if you now optimize towards only short-term, you're going to miss potential growth. But I think right now, again, if we are in a recession, and again, if you look at some of the, um, I don't know, VCs basically telling CEOs a hey, your runway, you're going to have to sacrifice growth, like uh, long-term growth to actually keep the company healthy, to survive. Right. I mean, some of those,
0: I've seen those decks floating around. Like it's, I think sometimes VCs just like to be viewed as like experts in everything, right? The ultimate message to parse out of that, those decks is like, we're not going to save you, <laughs> really. That's it. Like, we, there's no more money from us or, you know, we're going to be very judicious about that. So don't come to us hat in hand. If you run out of I
1: think, money, I think, by the way, VCs obviously have an incentive here as well, because it, sure. like 2021, if you look at some of the crazy valuations companies raised that it was ridiculous. OK, right. you can see there is a Scott Galloway. What did he do? it? I think recently, actually, you can find it on YouTube. And he was showing some of the crazy valuations like we're talking 350 X for a company that doesn't generate anything and people were putting in money and i think vcs wanted to stop and one of the ways to actually make it stop is to also apply this pressure over companies hey get healthy yeah to get healthy means manage a pnl that is sustainable that you don't need to constantly chase the next dollar but you can actually focus on actually creating a product creating value uh, creating sustainable value predictable value one of the ways i would say again vcs
0: Want this to, in a way, happen? Sure, a hundred percent. Because you, what you would like to have a reset of the the overall like private market valuation landscape because it's just getting so expensive, right? To compete and it's very competitive. My point is, and I'm and I'm kind of being like flippant here, but you know, VCs want to be seen as like oh, I'm an expert in macroeconomics, like I'm an expert in consumer behavior. It's like, well, no, probably not, right? I mean, it's just like a lot of these decks have a lot of non core slides in them that are just basically designed to prop the VC up as like this godlike figure who understands the economy totally and human behavior totally. And really, the message is more like, yeah, you should get healthy, because we're not going to save you, right? Like, if you're spending unprofitably, and you're being profligate, and you're not being disciplined with your your spend, we're not going to come to the rescue. But that's just my kind of com- general commentary on VC land. By the way, I do want to call out your article, because it was really interesting, The uh, the search article. And, you know, people can find it on incremental.com on the blog. It was a really great article, but like, I kind of want to hover here for a second because it was, it attacked some of the biases I have, but I think it was really important. And what you presented there was like, look, here's a case, here's like two sort of views of like incremental ad spend, which one of these is like heavily reliant on search. And actually the one that was showing a lot of like, really, it was like primarily incremental, like all the money that was being spent was heavily reliant on search, right? And I think it just it goes to show you that like a lot of these preconceived notions or assumptions need to be tested. And they're all context dependent. Because, you know, generally, if you'd ask me, like, where should I invest my money, especially as like an, you know, an app company, or especially when you start talking about like ASA, and it's not there. I mean, sure, you could invest money there and be successful. But that wouldn't be where I would think of as like a growth channel if you're already scaled. But it's just so context dependent, you never really know, you know, and that's, why I invested in incremental, just to full disclosure, but that, because people just are unable to do that. And then, you know, with ATT, the ability to look at the per user contributions essentially disappeared. And so you are left with just like these high level kind of signals and, and you know, medium level signals like, you know, SKN or prospects and stuff. But without that user level kind of apparatus for measurement, you revert back to like a lot of assumptions like, nah, don't invest in search. It's all going to be cannibalistic. Well, no, that doesn't have to be the case. It's it's just very context dependent, but you need the tools to be able to know that. It was, it was actually, it was a really great blog post. Everyone should read it.
1: By the way, uh, so related, unrelated. So like, I think it was like last week or two weeks ago, we were looking into a measurement with w- one of the customers and basically we show them, okay, this ad spend on whatever channel was like a waste of money. Literally just yeah. keep your money. And they're like, wait, but a few weeks ago, we also measured this channel in the same country. And back then the platform showed that it was incremental. And I was mm-hmm. like, well, yeah. Let's say it's an advertiser that has a supply and demand influencing their, their marketing performance. Okay, They have Got more it. supply, they have more demand. Right. Anyway, the latest measurement was exactly on the same day where they massively increased the supply in a certain market. Essentially, what was driving the uh, marketing performance was the supply. It wasn't this channel. Right. So I would say basically what we're um, seeing is that on the same channel, on the same app, on the same market, In one period of time, channel was generating incremental results. Another period, the channel wasn't generating anything. It was basically their own supply that was generating the growth. And I would say this is like why I think that I also came with a strong bias towards writing this article, because I think I always had a strong bias against, let's say, indexes, you know, performance indexes. Right. Nothing is good or bad. Like means everything can be good or bad, depending on when. Of course, I think we both know that there's a lot of also really, really bad out there, but putting that aside. But again, if I look at the search or social or uh, influencers or brand, anything could be generating incremental results and good results. It really depends on every other
0: uh, variable considered. Yeah, it's like there's good, bad, and very bad. <laughs> those, are the, those are the options. And I saw the whole range at MAU. Oh. In the, uh, in, yeah, in the I'm, I'm now
1: grateful that it didn't come. You know, I was considering to go, but I'm like busy with other things. But knowing that it was vendor heavy,
0: I'm good. I mean, MAU is my by far, the, to my mind, the best conference in mobile. Well, in, especially in mobile advertising. I would say in mobile generally. It was vendor heavy this year, but I can understand why they just went through a two-year period where they had no income from events so sure i would just hope that you know in f- future events it's, it's maybe less vendor heavy but it was still excellent it was still great i still had a great time i got to catch up with a lot of people the content was fantastic so i don't i don't i'm certainly not trying to denigrate the mau experience it was worth every penny every minute i'm really happy i attended what are the opportunities for advertisers in a recession what should advertisers be on the lookout for in terms of things that they can lean into, leverage, exploit to the greatest effect, right? And I'll kind of offer up a kind of first attempt at this and then hand the mic over to you. But you know, my sense is like, if you're operating lean, and you were operating lean, and you didn't have to do a lot of cuts, and you didn't have to make any drastic changes to your business, and there's not a lot of volatility in the day to day, you could probably outperform your competitors, right? And and potentially take market share, maybe, and they'd leave market share open to be taken, right? And, and you can sort of coach their users with uh, effective marketing and that feels like there's a lot of dependencies there in, in terms of how you were operating pre-recession right and if you're like a food delivery you know a 15 minute you know whatever grocery delivery service that just had to cut you know some double digit perform- percentage of staff and you know probably morale's not very good probably that was very disruptive to your day-to-day operations you can't just cut that many people and expect things to run smoothly you have to adapt i mean that you have to make structural changes so like what are the opportunities there? How does this create opportunity for advertisers if they're able to like kind of react quickly and to adapt quickly and to spot, you know, moments where they can capture more market share?
1: Yeah, so I, I agree with you. I, I think that by the way, a team that essentially goes through this exercise, even if it doesn't pan out, even though there is no recession, if you just work now on increasing efficiency, you basically work on a common goal, like how do we optimize? What do we optimize? Are we making the right decisions? Like, of course, like if a recession happens, someone's going to go out of the market. Hopefully it's not your company, it's your competitor. And indeed, you're going to have more opportunities there. I think to go through this experience, if you hadn't yet, like any professionals doing that is a learning opportunity. It's a huge learning opportunity to make the right decisions, to use the available data, to basically think outside the box and not just doing what you were used to. And I think, again, any marketer with more than one year experience has experienced a lot in the last year, yeah. starting with ATT. And now going into this, I think, again, you are becoming stronger marketers just by understanding that there's more than just the short-term last-click uh, methodology to actually
0: optimize your expense. And that's certainly true about you know anyone who started a job as like a digital marketer in 2019 probably thinks this field is just, you know, <laughs> it's just this never ending cycle of massive, you know, structural foundational change. <laughs> you Do, know, there's to never be, a normal to be, fi- to be fair, it's never been. It's yeah. never been normal. Yeah, that's true. The probably the longest period of like normal we had was like, especially in the in the app space, it was like 2014 to 2019, right? like that five year period. Cause so I was like, okay, Facebook, it became like But even then, you know, Facebook changed a lot. You know, 2014, I think they rolled out AEO. And then 2016, they rolled out VO or 2015, they rolled out VO. So even in that five-year period, the Facebook platform changed a lot. And the way you thought about bidding changed a lot. So... Yeah. I mean, it's just a very dynamic space. I don't know.
1: I see it as like 2000. So you had the start of this mobile app world, 2000, let's say 12, okay? When growth and then you had rewarded video coming in and you had more supply and you had SSPs coming in and you had even more supply and programmatic was coming in. And then I think that like 2015 to 18 is what I call the dawn of fraud or the era of fraud where like everybody was kind of like in it, there was enormous chaos in terms of spend. And there again, you had like massive changes and so on. You had the market basically all going to the duopoly for a yeah. while. And then basically again, you had like Facebook's incredible, uh, like AAA and Google's USC, which basically was like, you just throw money at it. It's going right. to work. Okay, It's a black box and you don't know anything about how, but it is working. And then basically came ATT. There was some Panic mode there, prep mode, no one was prepped. Then it was actually launched and it was chaos. (laughs) All of it while we're in a global lockdown. Then long story short, this is where we are right now. Hopefully we're kind of like, you know, pandemic, let's call it over. Even though, of course, there's people still experiencing this. But uh, now we're entering a phase where suddenly you need to again change what you're optimizing to and how you are optimizing. Yeah, so I don't think uh, anyone ever had stability in this uh, space.
0: Right, because even Facebook, I just looked it up. I did a search for when did Facebook AEO launch, and the first result was a Mobile Dev Memo article that I wrote. (laughs) And it was 2016. (laughs) Yeah, well, I think I'm also just the only one writing about this stuff, so it it helps. (laughs) So AEO, AEO launched, I'm sure everyone's familiar, app event optimization launched in 2016, July. And if I remember correctly, VIO also launched in 2016. So a lot of change in just that year. And then the article is about how Facebook's ARPU grew dramatically as a result of those. So if you look at Q1 2016, U.S. and Canada ARPU was like $11, 86 cents in Q1 2016. So AEO was launched in July. So it's at Q3 And then by Q1 2017, it was $16.56. Holy crap. Right. And then to support the idea that it was all driven by AEO, if you looked at U.S. and Canada, ARPU change Q1 to Q2 was like 15%. And so was worldwide. They were growing at about the same rate, the ARPU growth. And then if you looked at Q3 to Q1, U.S. and Canada ARPU growth was double worldwide, right? Which would make sense because AEO and VO would unlock that for the higher value markets, but they wouldn't really impact the lower monetization markets. Anyway, to the point, a lot of change. It's always in a state of flux. It's a very interesting, it's a very interesting space to to be involved with. You know, contrast that to like TV advertising. I don't think that's changed since like the 60s. <laughs> like, you know, when you do a TV ad, you get like a an Excel spreadsheet two months later. That tells you like how many people they think saw your ad.
1: <laughs> yeah, people relied on it and people relied on panel and service and so on. And I think that's why everybody's now jumping on the opportunity of connected TV. Honestly, I think that until Netflix actually adds ads to Netflix, let's say freemium version, CTV is tiny. I yeah. think when Netflix, when Netflix goes in with ads, this market's going to explode. And a lot of people will try it because it's going to work. You know, every, the new shiny penny always works. But uh, let's see when they will uh, launch it. Because again, if advertising, essentially, again, we're going into recession, brand advertising is always the first to go.
0: Right. Well, to that point, like in the deck that I published, I included some stats and they showed in, for whatever, starting from like 2000 or whatever, and GDP growth and sort of total ad spend. And you see the ad spend decrease is much sharper then the GDP decrease because you're basically taking all of that you're cutting it off you're sort of like pulling it forward and you're just killing it and then it rebounds faster too because it's like okay well the economy is is recovering and so we need to sort of make up for all that growth that we lost and so we're going to spend a lot of money up front that's the thing with marketing you're spending up front for some timeline of revenues right it's not kind of just buying revenue in real time I'm buying some timeline of revenues, right? I'm, I'm paying money now for hopefully revenues over a long period of time and then like investing in that. And so if I, you know, if I feel a pain, I have to cut it, it's going to be a much sharper, more dramatic decrease than just overall GDP, right? And, you know, the opposite is true too, like as the economy recovers, and I'm buying upfront all these revenues over the long term. And, and if I have to make up for that, and I feel like this is the moment to deploy that money, then I'm going to deploy more, right, than the economies necessarily would justify.
1: By the way, I was thinking about it. So, you know, typically it's like brand dollars go first. Agencies uh, actually typically in a recession do quite a lot of layoffs performance. So let's say gaming apps D2C could actually gain from this. If brands are not there in Q4 paying brand dollar CPM, which is really hard to compete with, then this inventory is still available.
0: Yeah, right. Sure.
1: Still out there to be grabbed. Question is, again, if you are on the supply side, do you now start uh, upping your floor prices? Because you are also uh, trying to beat your Q4 expected revenues and you cannot get there if you don't have the brand dollars. So chicken, chicken, egg.
0: Right. Okay, Maurer, this was a great discussion. How do people engage with you? How do they find you? How can they meet you? How can they learn more from you?
1: Oh, LinkedIn, I'm quite receptive unless you're trying to sell me cheap CPM in whatever country. Twitter, I'm less receptive, like I'm less say, uh, answering, but Twitter is also fine. And MDM,
0: Slack channel, of course. And incremental.com or co? .com. No, no, we got the, uh, we got the proper domain. <laughs> just remove,
1: remove all the E's. So it's like incremental with just the A at the end. But again, Google us, you'll find us. It's fine.
0: Yeah, no, no vowels except for the A at the end. And I would definitely encourage everyone to check out that blog post about you know, the value of search and how context dependent that performance is because, it, you know, I went into that reading, like, here we go. Mauer's going to put the pins to search. It was an illuminating article and it was nice to see the, the data behind it. So Maurer, thank you for your time. Appreciate talking to you. always uh, learn a lot and um, I hope everyone else did too.
1: Cool. Same here, Eric. Thank you. And see you on the fifth time.
0: See you on the <laughs> fifth time. Take
1: care. <laughs> Cheers.